Welcome into another episode of Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. The automotive industry is certainly healthy, but it's also nearly unrecognizable from just five years ago. For example, the days of close to 18 million vehicles sold may never be seen again. However, the price per vehicle, not to mention the number of months these vehicles are financed, has never been higher. When you're on a wild ride like the one this industry is on, it's certainly good to have a steady guide, especially one that uses data and a team of researchers and years of know-how to light a path. Enter Joe McCabe, President and CEO of Auto Forecast Solutions. Joe has a fascinating view of the future. In it, brand loyalty gets chipped away in chunks. New entrants must knock it out of the park in their first at bat. But what's just as interesting is what Joe McCabe doesn't see. EVs replacing ICE vehicles by 2035. The holy grail? Well, that would be hydrogen, believe it or not. McCabe talks about the real possibility of that fuel source powering Class A vehicles at first, along with a major OEM getting behind that technology. Challenges on the horizon don't necessarily come in small packages like microchips. In McCabe's worldview, labor, labor, and more labor top the list of concerns for suppliers and OEMs as they search for enough bodies to work the factory floor. Buckle up and hold on tight. Joe McCabe is my guest today on this week's episode of Automotive Insiders. Joe McCabe, what a pleasure to have you on Automotive Insiders. How are you? Good, Jason, and thanks for having me today. I'm looking forward to it. So let's get into it and talk a little bit about some of the industry forecasts and outlook that you presented at an event in Georgia on March 9th, uh, in Athens, Georgia, and um, talk about where you see the industry as it sits today and going forward. Let's start with the state of play today, Joe. Where are we? Yes, yeah, state of play today is we're still suffering from a semiconductor shortage. Uh, we are hearing uh, language within suppliers of maybe that is sort of a smokescreen in some cases. It's easy to hide behind it right now because hey, it's not my problem, it's someone else's supply that's feeding my product. So we're on the edge of what the disruption is. If it's semiconductor or not, there is still disruption regardless of where we want to pinpoint it. Uh, you know, in terms of a forecast, we're still in the low to mid 15 million range for North America this year. And that's not really baking in a Q4 potential nuclear event with UAW and Unifor coming together for negotiations. We don't get north of 17 million till 26 in our forecast. And frankly, we never get back to our, our high 17, potentially pushing 18 million unit market in North America. The whole dynamic of the industry has changed. The idea of producing less cars at, at higher profitability per vehicle has really helped the manufacturers change their profitability model and help them with Wall Street. And we think that as we exit this problem that's called COVID and or related, we're going to have a brand new landscape out there, new players and new dynamics on how they're going to play. Would you ever think you'd see that day? Could you have ever thought? No, you know, last time we did this, you know, global recession, all the people that went in the recession came out the other side. So it's okay. Now the, the lights turn on and everyone's trying to get back at the same legacy players building cars for 100, 100 years and, hey, let's get back to work. Now we have just really, you know, you throw electrification in the mix and all you need is, uh, you know, uh, a couple billion dollars of potential SPAC money or maybe some charismatic leader uh, and a nice AutoCAD drawing. And all of a sudden you're in the car business. And with brand loyalty, we see eroding. You know, no, no one's bleeding that Chevy and Ford blood anymore unless they work at a plant or had a relative that work at a plant. Uh, you know, people are emotionally 
and socially motivated buyers now. They, you know, we make the joke about, hey, give a give an influencer a vehicle, but that is a reality. You give a good influencer on TikTok a new, let's say, throw them a lucid or throw them a VinFast, and bang, they get instant credibility with a new consumer that doesn't kick the tires anymore. And that's really changing how legacy players and new entrants can attack this market. And again, on a different playing field, you don't, you know, new entrants don't need a sales outlet where the legacies are forced to maintain it. High cost structure, they can't get eliminated. They can't eliminate from their from their business plan. So um, it is truly the wild west out there. And uh, yeah, predicting this would have been, you know, 20 years ago, you're crazy. But, uh, per, you know, but now this is our new reality. And it's interesting on the new entrance, read something recently where customers who are waiting for the new entrance to arrive are actually placing multiple deposits in multiple locations with multiple companies because they're not sure who's going to come first, who's going to survive, when they're going to get their vehicle. (laughs) So, you know, and that's a very valid point. So the point really is, you know, there's two schools. Is it, do you want an electric vehicle or do you want a Tesla fighter or do you want a Tesla? And, and, and these multiple uh, these multiple sort of pillars in the industry are very disruptive because, you know, if I really, truly wanted a vehicle, I'm going to put my money down on that vehicle. I'm not going to spread it to, hey, give me the coolest new EV that hits the market first. That really proves that this idea of loyalty that a brand that doesn't exist yet really is not a decision-making factor. And that's going to be the problem. Everyone just, you know, everyone forgets how forecasting works. Add all the business plans together, you know, 20 years ago, the market's 60% higher. Now EVs come in and people get amnesia. They go, well, why, why can't we get them 200,000 units a vehicle a year? Because they don't they never build a vehicle ever in their life. And now you're going to give them 200,000. So we got to look at the winners and losers. And we got to look at this idea of how you can sustain a business model with no product to show for it. You know, the OEMs, the legacy OEMs, they have legacy money. They have the ICE money to supplement the BEV pain they're going to go through. These new players have to grand slams day one because they only have $2 billion to burn through and they got to get it right the first time. So, you know, it's it, it's truly the, the thinning of the herd is really going to be interesting over the next decade. What are you seeing in terms of EV adoption? A lot of conversation about where that goes, but what's your prediction? I still would think we're on the early adopter phase. People want the shiny objects. Yes, Tesla's doing okay, but you got to give te- you got to look at Tesla critically. They're you know they have issues with body uh, uh, um, quality, fit and finish, but they fed into this idea of building a Tesla ecosystem like Apple. We all kind of look at that as going you know people are going to buy Cybertruck whether they think it's pretty or not because it's a Tesla. Um, so there's a different space over there. This new space over here of the early adopters throw money at it, and then and then I think you can have some early ones, and then it's gonna it's gonna level itself off. I think the legacy players are don't mind being a fast follower. They're gonna see what wins and what loses. They have the capacity, the capability to get it all done, and they're gonna sort of wait in the weeds, uh, and then either absorb someone that's in pain or capitalize on their technology and and run them over. So you know this idea of having hundreds of new players doesn't fit in any business model we've ever played in automotive space, let alone one with people that ever built a vehicle. So I think we're going to see still a growth. Uh, there's a big story out there. You know, you go from 2% to 4%, it's 2% or it's 100% growth, depending on the market you're trying to talk to. So we can spin the story any way you want. But this idea of a 100% EVs by 35 just doesn't make any rational sense. Well, now, in fact, we're starting to see even the European Union back off from some of the really aggressive regulatory stances that they had taken, much to the delight of some premium automakers. Absolutely. If you can find a way to repurpose a proven internal combustion engine and throw some bio e-fuels in that thing, 
that's a huge win that you do that is paid for technology, paid for R&D. That block exists to go out there and reinvent a whole new infrastructure and produce the other ones at the same time. Uh, you, you know, it's it, it's a difficult mountain for all these manufacturers to climb. Right, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about hydrogen. Um, what What is your take on the future of hydrogen and its viability in the light and commercial vehicle segment? Yeah, so uh, short story is we're fans, right? It's the most, on, on paper, it's the most, uh, the smartest play. You can crack it out of water, you can crack it out of air. There's no byproduct, the most abundant element wins across the board. Toyota, obviously, we believe is going to be the in the forefront of that. They didn't bet on the BEV story. They've since changed their story and said, yeah, we got to get BEVs, but they're in for the hydrogen long play. Hydrogen's going to play better space in the commercial spot first because, you know, think about how electric vehicle, electric vehicle, BEV has a large battery where all the energy is stored. If you can find a way to bring that battery to say one third the size and eliminate, you know, you know, two thirds of all your mineral requirements and then store your energy in the hydrogen tanks where the energy is going to be stored. That's a nice win, but they're big tanks. So putting them on big class A trucks makes a lot more sense first. It is super, super expensive. We talked to other players in this class eight space and it is uh, obnoxiously expensive to get it done. So we really need a lot of subsidizing and play and that. I think from a uh, passenger side level, look, the, you got to follow the money. And I'm going to use Toyota as a benchmark. Benchmark, Toyota wants to be here 500 years from now, five, not 50, not five. So they have to look at the long game. And the idea is, how are you going to make money off a consumer in perpetuity? So you got to eventually move them to electrification. Then from electrification, that's when you're launching pad. I say, okay, you've been, you've, you've assumed something that doesn't use petroleum. Hey, here's hydrogen for you. You know, we use the analogy of, you know, tapes existed when albums were out, but they didn't, they weren't cheap because they want to start a lot of money for the early adopters to pay for that. And then all of a sudden here comes, you know, MP3s and then here comes online services. There's always got to be that next revenue stream. These are publicly traded whole companies that need improved shareholder value in perpetuity. Um, so all of a sudden throwing hydrogen at people right now and disrupting their thought process on, do I want ice, EV or hydrogen? What do I want? Is going to be too detrimental to any kind of growth. We got to get there in stages. So I'm looking at hydrogens like 20 years from now, but it is truly the holy grail of, of uh, propulsion source, source that we need. Hasn't it always been on a bit of a rolling forecast though, that it was always going to come in 10 or 20 years? Yeah, that's the problem, right? But now we found another thing, right? The, the 10 or 20 years to me was always, let's go from ice to hydrogen. Right. And you were convincing a major consumer base to completely change their way of thinking. You know, people thought they're in a hydrogen, you know, it's here comes the Hindenburg. It's not that, but there's an optics play in it. I mean, GM back in the early 2000s said, we want a million on the road by what, 2012? That's, that's and, right. Right. And, and people call us, where's your forecast? I go, I'll give it to you right now. It's zero. And they would get mad at us because they were suppliers being asked to bid on. I go, it's just not going to happen. So, but I think we're a little more, we're further down the path now. If we're convincing more and more people to adopt a technology that is not internal combustion, you have a new thought process that says, I am willing to look at other propulsion sources. And if you can convince me the next one is going to be affordable and check all the boxes, great. Most people don't buy electric vehicles for the environmental side of it. They buy it because it is a Tesla fighter. If they did, the Chevy Bolt and Nissan Leaf would be the number one selling vehicles of all time because, hey, everyone wants an electric vehicle. Electrification is a governmental and environmental dr driven initiative, not a consumer driven initiative. And you got to find a way to make hydrogen a consumer driven initiative. And that's going to take decades, I think, to really get that tipping point. 
What do you make of all the recent battery plant investments in North America? And let's even take the, the most recent one, Volkswagen in Canada. Yeah, I mean, they're all good. And when you throw billions of dollars, you know, in the US with IRA, when you throw $35 per kilowatt and one gigawatt plant is a million kilowatts, all of a sudden when you're getting through two, three, four billion dollars, that's real money. Uh, I'm a little concerned that we're going to be throwing so much capacity at it. And there's going to be still a shortage on the material side or we're going to be overcapacitized for uh, batteries because we're trying to prepare for that not being the the, uh, the short end of the stick. The PowerCo one is is its own story because it's not like it's an LG or Samsung coming to play. It's an OEM. It's in a well-established global manufacturer that's getting into their own vertical with this with this app with this PowerCo brand. And I think it's going to wake up a lot of people on a global scale going, I might have a really bad case of FOMO here. If they see something in Canada we haven't seen yet, and they're Volkswagen, and we get to another shortage, and they are first at the trough for all the minerals because they own them, we got a problem. So either A, we're going to find a way to partner with them, or B, we got to rush there too and, and you know have a big, you know, it's, it's, it's the gold rush again, only with lithium. What's going to be the next player's going to come in and say, I want a piece of that too. So the fact the OEMs are getting directly involved and not leveraging just, you know, the Stellantis LG relationship or or um, or Samsung, uh, Samsung, which are also great, um, really is going to change the tide. I think we're going to see a massive flood of manufacturers want to, want to own that vertical. Final thing, when you think about the suppliers, and we've talked about this on this program for a while, suppliers who were all in on internal combustion engine five, 10 years ago, how do they cope with the next five to 10 years? Yeah, they're not worried. We're talking to them. Uh, we're doing multiple studies. What they're worried about is labor shortages. You know, they realize electrification is going to be a bifurcated market in the future. We're going to have ice and electrification and live in harmony. Uh, it's not going to be a light switch moment where they wake up one day and all their products are obsolete. We're talking to suppliers that bend metal for powertrain. They go, look, we're just going to move that person to bend a battery tray or something that's going to be unique to a um, an electric an electric motor. So they're not concerned yet from a product mix. They are deeply concerned about the labor pain that is rampant across North America and we know global, but specifically in North America. You know, they have major OEMs come and go, good news, you're our number one supplier. We're going to increase by 20% next year. They go, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I can't supply you now because I don't have a workforce that wants to work a third shift because we have machinery that goes for 24-7 here. I got uh, the gig economy and Starbucks and, and Walmart, take uh, you know uh, Amazon taking all my, all my labor away. How do you think I'm going to get 20% more productivity out of a staff I can't get 100% for now of your low volumes? So that's the, that's going to be the, I'm telling you, that's going to be the new semiconductor story of the, of the next coming years of we got to find people that want to turn the wrench and re-educate people the importance of manufacturing. That is the number one worry that suppliers are having today. Just one more. I actually had one more thing for you. Affordability. There's an affordability crisis with transaction prices where they are now. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I don't know where the money's coming from. I mean, and we threw a lot of money at it during COVID, and and you know, I, I just don't understand the fact of where it's all coming from. We see the the uh, monthly. Uh, Payments, as well as the number of months being uh, financed going up. That, that, that is not a sustainable market. So affordability is going to be a problem. The good news is that, you know, the ICE and the and the EVs are sort of converging when you throw a little BEV money at it and you have manufacturers willing to lose profit. 
Ford admitted the only way we're going to compete with that Mustang Mach-E is to lower its price and lose profitability because Tesla is just changing changing the, the landscape of how people play. So we don't judge them on profitability. Hey, there might be a little way of closing that gap. Um, but I'm concerned that we're going to have another bubble three years. You go to any new car dealership, nothing is marked under sticker. They're all over a sticker or more. Uh, I think three years from now, we're going to have a lot of people underwater again. And unfortunately, we're, we're going to be, uh, history is going to repeat itself. It, it, it's really, uh, it's pointing that direction. Uh, so I'm a little concerned about the affordability model. But the idea is that they build a Netflix model around. They spread the payments over enough time. You know, I always tell people, I own a $1,000 iPhone. I'm not going to give you $1,000, but I'll give you 30 bucks a month. At the end of the day, it's still going to be $1,000. So the higher, I think we're going to see more and more, you know, 72, 84, even 96 terms that potentially are going to come out. But I think that's going to really bite us in a few years when it all comes to a head. Fascinating. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on Automotive Insiders, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Jason. Always a pleasure to be on your show. That's this episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. And thanks again to my guest, Joe McCabe, President and CEO of Auto Forecast Solutions. And thanks for listening to Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein. We'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>